This week on the Nerd Byword, we are talking about the spin-off that everybody's been waiting for. Finally, the Adams family gets a spin-off with Black Adams. No, wait. What? The Byword starts now. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome to a new episode of the Nerd Byword. Uh, so glad for you to join us for episode 128 when we are finally reviewing a movie that's been in development hell for about 15 years. That's right, Black Adam. Was it the bee's knees or did it suck? We're about to find out. But first, as always, it's time for... All right, Chris, I'm not really quite sure how to feel about this story, so you go ahead and tell me a little something-something. Harrison Ford is reportedly joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Deadline confirmed months-long rumors that the 80-year-old actor would be replacing William Hurt, who passed away in March of this year at age 71, in the role of General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross. Ford captures yet another nerd icon Infinity Gem for his gauntlet, Coupling this casting with past roles in Star Wars, Blade Runner, and Indiana Jones, among so many others. His first scheduled appearance will be in the Anthony Mackie-led Captain America New World Order and is sure to continue in the Thunderbolts at the very least. Ford continues to keep himself busy with the fifth Indiana Jones film, yet untitled as of time of recording, slated to release in June of next year, and shrinking a comedy series for Apple on the horizon as well. In addition to this being a perfect casting, I'm even more intrigued for the impending press tours, given Ford's legendary flippant attitude towards the rabid fan bases that are obsessed with his work. Thoughts and prayers to the 168th journalist who asks him if he's going to transform into Red Hulk. What do you make of this, Dave? Yeah, it seems like such a weird move for somebody who is constantly just complaining about his uh, status in the nerd world, you know, like pe- people are constantly like asking him about minutia about Han Solo or Indiana Jones, and he just does not give a crap. So for him to dive into another major nerd role is, it's a weird decision. Maybe, you know, maybe he's just putting on a little bit, you know, maybe this I don't give a crap attitude is on, is basically like an act. You know, it's just like him being lovably scruff or something, because when it comes right down to it, I cannot see him wanting to sign on to something like this, knowing that everything that, you know, that comes along with it without him being willing to put up with some of the general um, nerd uh, questioning, I guess is the best way to put it. So I don't know, maybe he doth protest too much. Um, As far as the casting goes, I think he's, he's pretty well cast um, as, you know, Ross, I think, Ross is one of those characters that I absolutely hate how he's become sort of divorced from his context, you know, like I like him when he's, you know, interacting with the Hulk and is in that in the Hulk's world rather than just being generally in, in the Marvel universe. Um, so the direction that the Hulk has gone has kind of made that um, antagonistic relationship almost impossible at this point, unless there's like major changes. So I would I would have loved to see Harrison Ford's version of this character interact with the Hulk rather than, you know, popping up in Captain America and then in, in, in Thunderbolts. But, you know, that's just a personal preference. I like I like Ross in that Hulk world. 
I guess. Um, but we'll just have to see how it turns out. I think it's decent casting. Um, just strange for Ford to agree to it, I guess. Yeah, I, th- I think you're. I think you're right on the nose. I think. I think he's this. He's putting on this persona. Maybe it's a character in and of itself of this lovable curmudgeon, um, like an Archie Bunker, minus the racism and xenophobia. All right, Dave. Um, I was. I was going to tap this as my news story, but I feel that that you you've got dibs on this one. Yeah, so it appears that uh, major spoilers, first of all, for for Black Adam. Uh, I think we're going to have to start there. Um, in the post credit scene in Black Adam, uh, Henry Cavill's Superman makes an appearance. More on that in today's Big Talk. Of course, Henry Cavill's uh, Superman was last seen in Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was released in, uh, oh God, now, 2020? Um, and before that, obviously, the original version of Justice League uh, came out in 2017. So it's been a hot second since Cavill has had a chance to play Superman. Um, there's a lot of rumors going around behind the scenes that Dwayne DeRock Johnson, who played Black Adam, has been advocating really heavily behind the scenes for a return of Cavill Superman, mostly because he seems to be very interested in creating some kind of battle between Black Adam and Superman. Um, and now uh, there are uh, reports floating around Um, and I'm looking at a report from the direct that uh, it looks like they are uh, actively looking at bringing Henry Cavill back uh, and his new deal, including a new Superman movie. Um, So that is good news, if you ask me, because I'm a big fan of Henry Cavill's portrayal of the character, even if I'm not a huge fan of the movies in which he has appeared as Superman. Um, you know, Man of Steel is sort of middling to me from from a writing perspective. Uh, Batman versus Superman, I thought, was actively bad. And, and either cut of Justice League left things to be desired just in different ways. So um, although Cavill has been a decent presence as Superman, I don't think he's ever really gotten the chance to shine in the role yet. So I have high hopes here that a, a sequel... Uh, to Man of Steel, a new Superman movie might be exactly what the doctor ordered. Hoping, of course, that they get the right director and the right artist, uh, the right writers on board to create a, um, a a different kind of portrayal that gives Cavill Superman room to, you know, be a little bit more of the iconic Superman rather than some kind of um, mid-2010s, you know, edgier, realistic take on the character. Uh, whatever that might mean, realistic in quotes. Um, so I'm, I'm pleased that Cavill's coming back. I'm hoping they put the right creative team on it to give him uh, a chance to be the Superman that everybody knows that he can be. Um, and, and more on that Black Adam post credit scene, I think, when we uh, when we talk in the big talk about the movie. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm super excited about this. I feel about, and I've said this before on the show, but I feel exactly about Henry Cavill in the role of Superman as I do about Andrew Garfield in the role of Spider-Man. Hilariously, criminally underserved by everything around them. I absolutely love the idea of him being Superman. I love him outside of the film. Uh, Like there's like a cute little story about his nephew going to school and saying that his uncle is Superman and no one believed him. So he showed up at school with his nephew to prove that is in fact, his uncle was Superman. So like, I love everything that Henry Cavill represents. I love his work as, as Geralt of Rivia uh, in the Witcher on Netflix. Um, And so I'm super, super excited to, 
to see like a new vision going forward with him in this role. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see some, some positive momentum for the DC film universe. I agree. Um, and, you know, everybody is like running around speculating about what this movie might be, but it's very difficult telling what exactly executives are looking for right now, given all the upheaval at Warner Brothers Discovery, Shamalama Ding Dong these days. Um, I think the smartest thing that they can do is just kind of give give Superman fans what they've been clamoring for, um, which is a more uh, sort of a classic uh, portrayal of the character. Um, I'm a little concerned that one of the driving forces behind uh, Cavill's return is uh, The Rock because uh, The Rock is very much interested in serving his character first and foremost of Black Adam. And considering we've already had Batman versus Superman, I'm not really that interested in a in a movie that focuses on Black Adam versus Superman. I mean, how often does Superman have to you know get into fisticuffs in a crossover movie with a anti-hero in black? Um, at some point, the dude just needs a movie to stand on his own two feet. And that's really what I want. I just want a straight-up Superman movie. I don't want a whole bunch of DCEU crossovers. I just want to see Cavill's Superman in action, period. Yeah, and I think, I think that would be a mistake to go straight into that. I think, you know... I'm I'm going to save this point for when we get to um, the byword big talk, but I think it would be a mistake to do that and go in that direction. More on that later. I think that's fair. All right, folks, that's it for Nerd News. Stick around because after our first break, we're going to be coming back with the byword big talk and we'll discuss um, Black Adam. Was it good? Was it bad? Was it meh? Find out. All right, ladies and gentle people, we're back, and it is time for our big review of the long-gestating, finally-released Black Adam in this week's... All right, for new listeners, when uh, Chris and I uh, review a movie, we generally try to focus on both positives and negatives. So each of us has selected three things that we liked about the movie and three things we disliked. And after we discuss each of our points, we kind of do a summation where we uh, give our final thoughts on the movie. And I think that is a pretty good way to go about reviewing a movie. Even if it's something that we end up not liking, we always try to find something positive to say about every film. And and I think that's the best way to go because at the byword here, we are all about spreading nerd positivity. So, Chris, what is your first like of the movie Black Adam featuring Dwayne The Rock Johnson in the title role? Well, it it would seem a perfect analogy because uh, this film was in as much development and in as much waiting as Black Adam was in entombed uh, and waiting for thousands of years, it seems. But um, I really my biggest takeaway is I loved the importance of Kondok and as the previously previously professed Egyptophile that I am, um, being obsessed with ancient Egypt, I just love, you know, seeing that portion of the world brought to the big screen, brought to importance. That was my favorite thing about Mood Knight. Um, uh, I had I had pros and cons of that series, but I, w- once again, seeing the Middle East, uh, Mina, if you will, Middle East North Africa on. Uh, on the big screen as like a central place was just fascinating and so thrilling to me. And um, I'm not as well versed in Black Adam and Shazam history as I'd like to be. 
but I can already draw clear parallels um, with Black Adam and Kondok and what that represents and the importance to that as, as something is likened to that of, you know, Dr. Doom and, and Latveria and the importance of that country. And that's uh, as, as we talked about with our, our fixing of the first Fantastic Four film um, from 2004, that's something that they hilariously did not get right. And I think they, they nailed it here in this film that he's not just another brooding bad guy that's overpowered. There's something meaningful behind this and the importance of having um, an equivalent to something like that of Captain America, a hero that represents and protects a nation and promotes its ideologies and its ideals. Um, and that it, it was a really interesting contrast between Hawkman and, and Black Adam. Um, I think Hawkman came across as a little bit, uh, I don't know if it was imperialistic or or uh, whatever, but it was, it was a little bit hokey in, in his ideology, uh, in my opinion. But I loved like how important the role of Kondok played in this film. I'll agree with that. And this is one of the things that I actually really appreciate about um, DC Comics. You know, um, Marvel, they always say, is the world outside of our window. Uh, and that's a great approach to take with superhero comics. But one of the things I like about DC is that a lot of the places that they deal with are, in fact, fictionalized, whether that's a city like Metropolis or Gotham City um, or a country like uh, like Hamdok. So having these, these fictional places really allows uh, writers to to play around with with ideas and thoughts about how you know nations or cities relate to each other and 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 messing around a little bit with the with the geography of a place to not really tie it down to anything um, and usually you end up getting some really um, interesting twists right on on different ideas and mythologies and the cool thing about about Kondok is is exactly that I mean you know it's very clearly some kind of Egypt analog yet at the same time there are strong differences um, that that make exploring that place uh, extremely interesting right um, and so I'm I'm always been really I've always been really fascinated with with Kondok and the comics and whenever they do something with that even if it's you know like Hey, this is Black Adam's country. You know, can can a superhero go in there and save somebody, or is Black Adam going to be like, "Hey, dude, you're on my turf"? You know, there's all these these tensions that are really, really, really interesting to explore in the comics. And I think they did a decent job transferring the idea of Kondok and what it means and how it functions from the comics to the screen. So I was very pleased with that as well. Would you agree with that 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 comparison between Latveria and Kondok? I think I think that's fair, especially in the comic books where Black Adam is basically the ruler uh, of Kondok, right? Um, the problem, I, the only problem with that comparison is that Doom is very much uh, straight up a villain, right? Whereas right, 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 right. Adam, yeah, whereas Black Adam is is in modern incarnations, anyways, more in a shade of gray. Yeah. So it's it's sometimes the heroes will, you know, in DC will get his help, and sometimes he's a straight-up antagonist. You never quite know what you're going to get with him. Whereas Doom, um, b- besides, you know, the occasional storyline, is generally not painted as somebody who has a heroic streak. Um, but other than that, I would say the comparison is absolutely apt. All right, Dave, what was your first like of Black Adam? So uh, I have professed oftentimes already to 
uh, a strong love for a comic book series called the 52, not to be confused with the new 52 uh, publishing initiative over at DC. Uh, 52 was sort of a jam piece between four different writers and a whole bunch of different artists that ran weekly for 52 weeks. And it had various storylines going on in it that by the end kind of came together uh, and, and headed towards a resolution. And one of the things that I loved about 52 was the Black Adam storyline. Um, and there are hints of this uh, in this movie that I really appreciated. Somebody definitely read 52. Um, and the story in, in 52 is that, um, you know, Black Adam encounters a woman and, and her son and, you know, becomes close to them and ends up actually sharing his power with them and sort of building his own family, kind of like Shazam has sort of his extended family. Black Adam sort of builds his own and and it tempers him a little bit. You know, he starts softening. Um, regrettably, that all ends in tragedy in 52 uh, when both the, the the woman and the boy are are killed and Black Adam goes back off the deep end, uh, you know, the tragedy kind of pushing him back into his much more violent ways. Um, so it's a very, a very tragic story in 52. Um, but it went a long way, I think, in kind of finding a different way to look at Black Adam, um, who can be, in other cases, pretty one note. I mean, if you go back to his origin story and everything in the comics, it's not nearly as nuanced as what you got in this movie. Uh, it's much more straightforward. Uh, I had, you know, Shazam's power and then it was taken away from me and now I want it back, which is why I'm constantly fighting Captain Marvel. Um, and by Captain Marvel, I mean, you know, what they call Shazam these days. Um, and so the nuance here was deeply appreciated. The fact that, you know, Black Adam comes out, uh, you know, very violent and, and doesn't want to, you know, interact with conduct or with people, but there's a woman and her child that soften him. And, and so that, that approach, what I really liked in 52 is present in this movie to a certain degree as well. Um, and that, that made for an interesting character arc, I think for Adam in this, uh, in the story, which is, you know, from this, this just tragic hardened figure to somebody who's trying to be better, more heroic, if you will, even if he's, you know, a killer. Um, so there's nuance here that comes out because of the relationship he has with those two characters. And that's something I really liked about the movie. And I think that's something that naturally comes from The Rock and, and other things, at least that I've seen him in. There's a while there can be like this, you know, macho machismo of like action thriller. I, I think there's there's a constant thread of like family elements and and, you know, injected into storytelling as well. And so like that really resonated with me as well. And I think it feels like somebody did their homework. And I mean, let's be straight up. I know we're talking about likes and everything, but in that in that relationship, um, the Rock was probably the weakest element. You know, like I think the way the the boy and and his mother were written was really really strong, right? And and the Rock kind of came off in a lot of those scenes as a little flat, a little aloof, yeah, yeah. But I think it 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 worked in the end. Um, I think they could have dialed it up a little bit from from the rock side in, in those scenes. But I think it came across well in the end and I was pleased with it. Yeah. I think overall, I don't know if this is putting the cart before the horse, but I think for me, the third act of this film was this its strongest. And I think it really came together nicely. It, it had, it had a bit of a lull in the first and second, but the third act, it really, it really was singing for me. I, I totally will agree with that. Yeah. I think the the middle section of the movie. Yeah. Even though there were several action set pieces, the stakes never felt, you know, particularly big. Um, so 
I, I think that was probably part of it. Like I don't, I didn't ever feel like Adam was in danger or even the kid was in danger when they were trying to rescue him. Yeah. But the third act was much stronger. I'll agree with that. All right, Chris, what's your next like of the movie? Uh, my far and away, my favorite thing. Um, and this is a character that I plan to take a deep dive into um, going forward. But I absolutely loved everything about Dr. Fate. Um, of course, you're going to draw the comparisons with Dr. Strange. Um, who cares? It was cool. The imagery, the costume, the fit, the helmet, the detail on on the costume was just magnificent. And then this just the the attention to detail on the imagery was really, really fascinating. Um, the, the story with with Kent um, beautifully, wonderfully portrayed by Pierce Brosnan. Love that. Loved everything about it. Um, about this man out of time. He's he's over a hundred years old, and he's just he's ready for it to be his time. And his his sacrifice um, at the end was was really poignant. Uh, but it was just like such a fun character to play with. Now the the Rock has come out on social media and said that this is not the end for Doctor Faye. You will see him again. Whether that means Kent Nelson, Pierce Brosnan returning to the role, or some other you know, thing. This is a personal favorite character of the rock. He said, so we will see him again. And I'm super excited because I thought it was great. I like this character a lot too. And I think it's incredibly unfair. Once again, um, you know, people trying to draw a comparison with Dr. Strange here. Uh, first of all, Dr. Fate came first. So Natch, um, but but even beyond that, uh, just because they both have Doctor in their name and they use magic doesn't make them the same character. Strange in particular is a very, very different character from Fate. Um, there are so many different elements besides just, you know, the helmet, the possession angle, um, but even like portrayal, like character wise, they're just very, very different people. Um, and just because two characters use magic, comparing them is, is absolutely silly, I think. Uh, yes, I really liked this adaptation of Dr. Fate as well. I thought it was very, very ably done. I was pretty darn spot on from the comics. So I was I was very happy with this. I was not happy with Fate's sacrifice. Even though it worked in the story part, I was displeased, I guess you could say, that um, the oldest cast member is the expendable one, I guess. Um, I think there's something cool, and this is really baked into the Justice Society idea, and I'll talk more about that later. But I thought it's it's really cool to have, you know, aging superheroes uh, that are participating in stories like this, right? Um, it, it shouldn't always be the young person's job with the perfect physique, you know? I mean, having these aged and weathered and experienced superheroes in the story uh, adds a lot. And I think Dr. Fate added a lot to this movie. I think it would have been much poorer for it if he would not have been there. So um, although it makes sense within the story, the whole sacrifice angle, uh, it made me feel like, you know, that that's it for Dr. Fate, or at least this version, because, you know, obviously the power comes from the helmet and the helmet can choose the next person to wear it. And there's been various things and various adaptations where other people have wore it. There's a an Earth 2 story where we have a very different Dr. Fate as well. They could adapt that character. Um, so I don't think this necessarily means we're getting Pierce Brosnan's version again. It probably just means that the helmet will pass on to the next wearer. And I think, you know, again, I really like the idea of um, a superhero not just being the young person's game. I, I really would like... I know that we always want to fast forward to team-up movies, but I would love like a Dr. Fate like solo film and diving deep into that Lords of order. You, you uh, it's came to mind when you, when you were making the comparisons 
or lack thereof between himself and 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 in Doctor Strange. Um, I think diving deep into like the Lords of Order and the possession, even the little bit of the the tiny taste that I've gotten from playing like Injustice video games and um, from watching like Young Justice, like it's fascinating, and I I, I want more of that storyline. Yeah, I can totally see that, man. Well, this is a natural transition for your second like, Dave. I think for the most part, a lot of the stuff that was going on with Justice Society, as far as like how to adapt those characters was really cool. Um, I think Hawkman was actually pretty spot on. Um, and if you know uh, some of the history of Hawkman, which is very convoluted and complicated, um, you know, it becomes very apparent why he's, I, I guess... You, you kind of said uh, militaristic a little bit, I guess. That's the word. I couldn't um, think of the word, but yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's fair because in some incarnations, he's like a space cop from another planet, you know? So there's a little bit of that baked in. And he is, uh, in the comic books, a short-tempered uh, jerk oftentimes, you know? I mean, he had a he had a series once, I think that was called like the Savage Hawkman or something. Like he just is a bad, foul-tempered dude. But he does have his heart in the right place. And I think that was very, very well adapted here. Um, Fate, obviously, we talked about extensively. Um, Cyclone. uh, I love Cyclone. Uh, Cyclone, if I remember correctly, um, first popped up actually in a uh, Jeff Johns penned Justice Society series that I collected when it came out at the time in the early 2000s. And it was really, really such a great series. Such a great Justice Society series. It's just like, much better than it had any right to be. And Cyclone was just this breath of fresh air, pun fully intended, that just like blew through the Justice Society, this extremely young, um, idealistic, high energy character um, that just like is so easy to love, you know? And and I think they did such a great job with Cyclone here, and I just wanted much, much more of her. So I think these characters, you know, Adam Smasher, a, a little less so, but the, I think the the main characters in in the Justice Society, Hawkman, Cyclone, and Fate, were extremely good adaptations of those characters. And seeing him on the big screen was so cool. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm I'm a big Aldous Hodge fan, and so seeing him as like a leading man in a comic book movie was really really cool. I think the suit was incredible. The design, the the mechanics of it was was awesome. I loved the jet. Uh, I loved all of that. The nanobots, the healing. I I'm a Cyclone super fan now, and I I'll, I'll talk more about that later. But I desperately needed more of her. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. So, what is your uh, your third and final like of the movie? Uh, we talked about it before, but the only thing that really carried my attention through the first and second parts of this, in in, in large swaths, was the fight choreography. Um, they they relied a little heavy on slow mo. You, you all know how Dave and I both feel about that. But um, but there was there was one in particular where he comes out of the tomb uh, slash prison, and then like it's it's a super slow mo where he takes down everybody. It was just really really cool, and I really enjoyed the fight choreography, even in um, even in the, um, the 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 final fight between himself and and Sabak was that right Sabak or is that the uh, Star Wars game? No, no, yeah, uh, yeah. Isn't it funny? It's almost spelled the same way too. No, yeah, Sabak is what they call okay. it in the movie. Um, I've I've been doing that for another project, but anyway, um, 
but yeah, so I really, really enjoyed the fight choreography. And there was, you know, with with The Rock as the leading person in an action film, you're going to get some good fights. And it did not disappoint here. Yeah, I saw some people online um, running their mouth a little bit about saying like the action is very Zack Snyder-esque. Um, you know, there was a reliance on um, on slow-mo and like these bursts of speed and stuff, which we've seen in some Zack Snyder movies. Um, but I thought the whole vibe of the fighting um, was very different. Um, it, it felt a little less, look how cool this is, and a little more, you know, trying to get into the, the psychology of the fighting. So, you know, um, I, I think the fighting stemmed more from character and less from trying to make a cool shot, if that makes sense. Um, and because of that, it worked a little bit better for me than some of um, Snyder's uh, fight scenes that use sort of uh, a few of the same tricks. Um, I, I think the fight choreography had very much its own vibe in this movie, and I liked it quite a bit. Um, so even in the lull there in the center of the movie, the, the the actual fighting, especially between Black Adam and Hawkman, I think that was that those confrontations ended up being a lot of fun. I love the. Um... There was just some hilariously ridiculous stuff too. Like, I think um, the kid is is like going down the stairwell, so he's of course taking his time as a regular human being. And then like Adam is doing this super slow float down, like he could easily just like go much faster. And while he's talking to him, and then the other one that really jumps to mind is where he just flicks this dude and he's flying through the air he's like did you kill him and he's like no and then the dude lands he's like i did i did kill him <laughs> no he didn't make it is what he said oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't make it <laughs> yeah there were there were there were cool moments like that that i really appreciated all right dave i'm gonna lean on your um your expertise here because i'm interested to hear your third like yeah, so um, if you go back to the old Fawcett comic books and, and you know, Captain Marvel and Black Adam and their whole rivalry, um, the origin, I think, for Black Adam always was a little flat, you know, like uh, it was basically the, the, the wizard Shazam selected, you know, Teth Adam to be his champion, but he became greedy and selfish and used his powers in vain and for evil. And so the wizard Shazam locks him up and... Uh, you know, takes most of his power away and, and just is like, I'm going to find a new champion. And then centuries later, he finds Billy Batson. Billy Batson becomes the champion of Shazam and gets those powers. Black Adam is far from powerless, though, and he, he he's freed. He frees himself. Then he starts going after Billy Batson because he wants all of his powers back. And that's sort of Black Adam um, original flavor in a nutshell. Now, modern comic book writers have done work to try to, you know, add complexity to him and deepen him. I mentioned 52 as a really good place where they did some interesting stuff with the character. Um, More recently, I think uh, Bendis went sort of on a rehabilitation spree when he was uh, writing Justice League and was trying to make, you know, Superman is trying to redeem Black Adam and make him more like himself or something. And it was... I don't know. It felt a little. It felt a little disingenuous to to the Black Adam character. He became almost a little. I don't know. I don't want to say too soft, but just like not not himself in some respects. It didn't didn't feel quite recognizable as the same character. I thought what the fifty two did was a little better. But here I have to say, uh, to the credit of the movie's writers, and I'm again, I'm not a super expert on the whole Shazam stuff, but to the movie's credit, I did not. Um, know of a comic book coming into this where they did this twist that his son was the actual champion 
And then his son gave up, gave the power to his father to save him and died. And then daddy went like off the deep end. I thought that twist on his origin was so smart. And it also explains a lot of like Adam's total um, buttholery, his rage. You know, I mean, he, he, he was attacked. His wife was killed. His son gave up his powers to save him. Then his son was killed. His whole family is gone. Like the rage is understandable, you know, like suddenly you start sympathizing a little bit with this guy. Um, so it was a much, much smarter way to go about his origin. The other thing that, that I thought was a really cool twist is the throne. Uh, that whole scene um, looked like we're going to go in a very predictable way. And then it just swerved because in modern comics, generally speaking, Black Adam is the ruler of Kondak, right? He's, he's, you know, uh, the Dr. Doom, basically, you know, the, the quote unquote bad guy, although he's not always fully bad. Sometimes he's an anti-hero, but he's ruling this country, right? And, and his whole thing is like, I'm protecting Kondak and his people and everybody else can kiss my butt. Um, and here he takes like the, he takes the throne, he sits on it and then he gets up and he destroys the thing. And I thought, well, holy crap. This is going exactly not in the direction that I was expecting. And so a, a comic book adaptation doing interesting things with a character, arguably improving on that with the origin story, and then swerving so hard at the end away from a status quo that comic book fans are expecting, I thought, well, that was pretty darn bold. So, you know, we can talk about our dislikes and the quality of the movie overall, but I thought they did some really, really smart things with the Black Adam character here that I was not expecting as a longtime comic book reader. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was genius in, in those two scenes in particular, and it was incredibly earned um, motivation for him, I thought. Um, I, and I'm, that's that's a like a tried and true um storytelling where you get like the original story like mythology or 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 tale of what happened and then like you get like the sometimes a second or even a third of like what actually happened um and so like i thought that was like masterfully done and then you know i even i've seen like the comic book covers of him sitting like that on the throne and then for him to all of a sudden fly up and smash it and i was just like oh snap um so that was really really cool and then um so yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where we go from here um, because I, I I hope this isn't. I, I don't think it is, but like I, I'm I'm ready and excited to see more uh, from Black Adam and you know his interactions in the DC universe at large. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, that brings us to the uncomfortable situation of having to talk about some of the things that we didn't like about the movie. And I think there are some glaring issues that we're going to have to dive into here, Chris. So, what is your your first dislike of the movie. No disrespect to Noah Centineo, but God, Adam Smasher sucked. Everything about this character was just a misfire for me. Uh, from the mask looking like a, a straight to DVD Deadpool knockoff, uh, down to like the details on like the eyes and like not having a mouth. Um, the humor, not a single joke landed for me. It felt like it was like a bad karaoke version of other comic book movies, um, like him walking around eating snacks. It was not funny. Um, he was the way he fumbled over himself for Cyclone didn't really do anything for me. Uh, there was precious little that I enjoyed about this character, and I'm so sorry to that man, but it it, it was not good. 
So I will say that uh, I agree that jokes didn't land, um, and he was probably the weakest link in in the the, the cast of characters. Not saying that the actor wasn't able, um, but I don't think as written that Adam Smasher really clicked. I've had a lot more fun with the character um, in in the Justice Society comic books, um, and I think that this is probably the the one area where a character adaptation just fell flat for me as well. I will, though, to my death, defend that mask because it is exactly the way the mask looks in the comics and that design of Adam Smasher's mask predates the design of Deadpool. So if anybody is, you know, Dollar Tree bargain binning anybody, it's Deadpool taking Adam Smasher's mask. So well, we already you know, we already know how I feel about Deadpool, so that's whatever. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so so uh, I will I will defend that mask to my last breath. There is absolutely nothing wrong with Adam Smasher having a mask that looks like a comic book, you know, spot on adaptation just because you know, some other guy made it to the screen first. It's the same thing with the whole Doctor Strange, Doctor Fate thing. Just because the general audience saw Doctor Strange first doesn't mean Doctor Fate is not, you know, a, a much older character and significantly different. So I, w- I will defend that mask. I will say, though, that that I totally agree that for the most part, the jokes, jokiness and stuff fell kind of flat with Adam Smasher. There is one moment I appreciate it, though, and that is when he when he was ba- when he backhanded Hawkman. I I got a ticket. Oh, that was that. yeah, that, that was, was a good one. That one was good. Yeah, when when, when Hawkman then stands up and is like you and me. Like, oh yeah, that yeah. <laughs> I love that moment. But other than that, all the jokes fell flat. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, Dave, what is your first dislike of Black Adam? Okay, so for for this I have to back up and do my but I love comic books thing for a second. So, um I actually have a, a very very strong like uh for the Justice Society. Um, Justice Society has a really long history and, you know, at one point they were like on a parallel Earth where all the characters are just older and, and that was the whole thing. The Justice Society was on Earth 2 and the Justice League was on Earth 1 and then Crisis of Infinite Earths and suddenly they're on the same Earth and then you have, you know, the Justice League and the Justice Society both there, so what is, what's the difference, right? And I think writers have come with a really good justification for having both and that is that the Justice Society originally formed invaders style uh during world war ii right so they're uh, all most of the members are older and then their purpose in modern comics has become sort of um a training crowd, ground a proving ground right so you have these really older characters you know kind of in the vein of what you saw um with, with dr fate here um but so you have more than those characters you know you have uh you know you have the golden age Green Lantern, Alan Scott, you have Wildcat, you have the Golden Age, Flash, Jay Garrick, right? And these are all old men who are still out there fighting the good fight, but they're also taking this younger generation, people like, um, you know, Adam Smasher, the new Adam Smasher, right? Because there was one before. People like Cyclone. And they're taking in these young heroes, Stargirl, right? Um, we've talked about that show briefly before. Stargirl is a character associated with the Justice Society, right? She's... Uh, taken in by these older guys too and trained and and brought up to be heroes and made sure that they learn you know right from wrong and are protected as they're trying to find their footing in this world and that concept is so super super cool um and and we didn't really get that here in part because they really truncated the justice society right they we got like hawkman 
brings, you know, uh, Dr. Fate back into the fold and then these two young kids and that's it. There is no Justice Society, even though they're calling themselves to Justice Society. There doesn't seem to be a pre-existing team that is in place at the time or some kind of structure or anything. And I understand, hey, we don't want to show Golden Age Green Lantern Alan Scott because we had a bad Green Lantern movie and we don't know what we're going to do with it yet. And we don't want to show, you know, Golden Age Flash Jay Garrick because then we have to open up the can of worms of talking about the Flash movie that's coming out and uh, how they, that, you know, the relationship between Barry Allen and Jay Garrick is, right? So there's, there's questions they'd have to answer. And I understand that. But it still felt incredibly incomplete. And, and it, also didn't quite explain well why these two more experienced superheroes are bringing in these two kids, basically. Well, it's because that's the purpose, modern-day purpose of the Justice Society. They, they, they truly are a society. They are a large group of older aging heroes trying to pass on what they learned to the younger generation. And that part was sorely missed in this movie. And even if you didn't want to focus on a much larger justice society, there was nothing wrong with having a large justice society at the beginning of the movie and then saying, okay, uh, the team is dispatching these four or five heroes to go and deal with the Black Adam situation in conduct, you know? And then you still have that larger structure pre-established that you can do something with. Because I would like, I would cut off my left foot for a good Justice Society movie. Justice Society is such a different vibe and a different feel from the Justice League, and and has a place uh, that is very different from from just a straight up superhero team. They feel almost more like family, you know. When you have the the older generation passing on knowledge to the younger generation, I love that aspect. And it just felt so um, truncated. It's just like there's just this little tip of the iceberg, but you're really not even implying that there's an iceberg. And and that was a huge miss for me because I missed all these other characters or at least hints of these other characters and what the Justice Society actually means in DC lore. Yeah, even from an outsider's perspective, like it just felt like there was something lacking. Like it did not feel like four characters was enough of a team up enough of a recruitment it felt like there were there were at least two characters missing and whoever you wanted to make them into it felt like that there wasn't where there wasn't near enough of a force being recruited here to to confront black adam yeah and and even like i said if you don't want to have like the whole you know justice society roster there there is there is something to be said for the you know the modern day concept of what the justice society is and how that you know explains so much about what what we're seeing here with these two young characters and dude it's not you know even that that having the justice society in this movie made no sense it does totally make sense because there is a pre-existing relationship between black adam and the justice society and in the comics the justice society has associated with shazam and has associated with black adam and there have been scenes of you know like jay garrick and alan and alan scott um, trying to persuade Adam to, you know, join them and be a, a true hero and not this, you know, anti-hero. And that 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 rang true. That felt right to have the Justice Society there trying to temper him. It's just that the Justice Society was so far from complete that that you just you felt it in your bones that something was missing here. All right, now that I went on my ramble about the comic book <laughs> source material. Let's go ahead and see what your next dislike is, Chris. I, I felt like one of the one of the weakest elements was the script. Um, the dialogue was pretty hokey and cheesy and cringy at parts. 
um, some of the stuff, you know, while I said, I really like the importance of Kondok and, and everything I, 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 there were, I see what they were going for, but like some of the lines about like, this is what it means for Kondok or, or all those things, particularly from like the kids um, was, was not scripted. Um, I feel bad calling him the kid. Uh, Amon, sorry. So, so like Amon's lines were not like the most thought out scripted. It felt like they were just like throwaway things. Like, you know, this kid is going to serve as the inspiration and we'll just write something quasi inspirational for him to say. Um, and so I felt like the dialogue left a lot to be desired. We talked previously about the jokes not being very well done. Um, so I think overall, um, the 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 dialogue and the scripting needed a a, a well deserved revision and facelift. I definitely feel like we didn't get, especially for a movie that's been in development for so long. I don't feel like we got the best version of what that script could have been. Um, I think that is absolutely one hundred percent fair. I I do think that uh, there is a weakness in this movie and inherent in the script that has nothing to do with the performances or the directing. Um, it just was not quite spot on i just like 10 degrees off from being right i mm-hmm. guess is the best way yeah. to put it like you're almost there man you almost got a fantastic movie but there's just there this line didn't hit this 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 um joke didn't hit there's there's too much of those little moments that don't hit right that they start adding up um and i think that's regrettable because i think there's a really good movie here but it was not it's it, it's not ready for prime time like it's just needed another another go another revision through the script absolutely and i think one of the those big misfires i can't believe i neglected but um was was hawkman and him being this hokey uh captain america-esque like we don't kill or whatever like i needed a little bit more development from him for that to make sense it, it was just like the optics of it of him coming to a foreign nation where you don't really have a jurisdiction to come in and tell people how to run their country was was a bit of a, a misfire for me and i will talk more about that in a second I, I have i have some thoughts on that too um again uh you know hawkman in the comic books is a deeply aggressive guy and uh you know to make him the voice of we don't kill seemed a little weird because i seem to recall him getting violent enough that he probably killed a few people in his time um like i said hawkman is a little more fired up i guess you could say in the comic book sometimes i really like this version of the character in the movie but i don't i don't necessarily feel like hawkman is the right one to stand here and say killing you know is wrong we don't kill um it's also never laid out as a really good argument right like he just that he just is like we don't kill black adam says well i do and that's like the the, the extent yeah. of their discussion right like what is the reason that we don't kill you know, it, it, like what? what why? That was even a why that was a black clip, Adam wrong. That was even a clip that we got from the trailer, and that's very much trailer speak. And then you go to a movie and be like, "Well, they're going to explain this further," but they didn't. <laughs> yeah, and I think look, um, this is an argument that social media has on a daily basis. It seems like when you're talking about superheroes and superhero movies, and that is kill versus no kill. And I, I, I take this on a character by character basis, right? So when I look, for example, at Batman using guns and killing people, I will always say that that doesn't make sense for the character because his parents were gunned down. You know, right. having having him say stuff like "I don't use guns" makes perfect sense for him because he firsthand knows, you know, the effects of 
killing one person, how, how that ripples outward, you know, that these, these people have family, that, you know, there's going to be pain, there's going to be suffering because this person is gone. Should they be punished for what they've done? Absolutely, but you don't kill them, you know? That makes sense for a Batman. Superman has always been like this this height of an ideal, right? He's he's aspirational and inspirational, and therefore he's definitely a character that should not kill. That doesn't make sense for Superman. You know, so so certain characters that's inherent. Now, when you look at Captain America, Captain America kills. Like you can kiss my butt if you don't think Captain America kills, <laughs> because Captain America fought in World War II. You you do not go through World War II without killing enemy yeah. soldiers, right? He is a super soldier. He kills, right? Black Adam, he's a killer, right? So when you want to have a discussion between a character that is not a killer and a character that is a killer, you know that that. Can you have an interesting a scene or an interesting movie out of that philosophical difference? Absolutely, but it has to spring from character. And we did we did not in this movie see where the the no kill rule in Hawkman springs from. Dude carries a mace. That is not exactly the most <laughs> non-violent weapon you can run around with, right? You hit somebody in the face with a mace, they're gonna be dead. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure if that if that attitude springs from character right so i'm i'm always been one of the guys that finds superheroes to be aspirational and i prefer for most of my superheroes that they not be killers um it also doesn't make sense from a from a um financial standpoint for comic book companies because if batman goes ahead and kills the joker you're not going to be able to do that really cool joker storyline uh six months later right so being able to bring these characters back and have new spins on them for writers i mean it makes it makes economic sense but as a kid who grew up on comics, I kind of got a lot of my morality from Superman comic books and from Batman comic books, you know? And even and even Frank Miller in his, like, Dark Knight Returns crap, which is not really my favorite book, even there there's a moment where Batman holds up a gun and says, this is the, this is the weapon of the enemy and we will not use it. And that, that resonated to me, yeah. for me as a kid, you know? So do I prefer my superheroes not killing? Absolutely. But it has to spring from character, and we did not really see that with Hawkman here. Yeah, I think you nailed it, and it made me think of my grandfather, who was a World War II veteran and, you know, came back from you know, fighting in Europe and said that, you know, we will never have any guns in this house, period, full stop. And so like, you know, when you when you made that analogy with with Batman, that's immediately what I thought of. You know, of course, you could have people go the other way, like he could have come back and been traumatized and it goes the other way. He could have been a Rambo. He could have been of a, a, a Frank Castle. But uh, yeah. it, it just feels disingenuous, you know to go, you know, one way or the other, and then like not for it to make sense and to see that development. And when you're introducing these characters, you're going to have to explain to me why they feel that way. Absolutely. Dave, I'm interested and intrigued by your next dislike. Amanda Waller should have not been in this movie, period. Um, and I, I know that sounds harsh because I am a fan of uh, Viola Davis's um, portrayal of the character. But she has no room talking to the Justice Society and basically giving them orders. The Justice Society 
it, much like the Justice League, has a deep distrust of Amanda Waller. They do not have a good relationship because Amanda Waller is a conspiracy person, right? She's the spider in the web behind the scenes, pulling the strings and, and doing stuff that are not necessarily moral or legal because she thinks they're the right thing to do. The Justice Society gets in conflict with Amanda Waller. The, the Justice League gets in conflict with Amanda Waller. They do not take orders from Amanda Waller. Um, and that goes right down to that post credit scene when, yes. you know, she's like, she's like, I, I, you know, I can send somebody your way. And then Superman shows up like Amanda Waller does not give orders to Superman. Who the heck thought that was the way to go? It would have been much more likely that Clark Kent is sitting in, in the Daily Planet and is getting news about this guy and decides he's going to suit up and go have a talk with him. than freaking Amanda Waller sending Superman. What the crap is this? This is one of the big problems in the DCE. You, Man of Steel actually said it right. You know, the military is keeping track of him by the end of this movie, and he's like, dude, I'm not your enemy, but I will not be controlled by you. And that is Superman. That is something that Man of Steel got right. right? Superman is not a government stooge. Superman goes his own way. He does not work for Amanda Waller. And the fact that they're basically implying that Waller has some kind of control over Superman really rubbed me the wrong way. Amanda Waller has no room in this. They could have very easily just had Hawkman in his on his little computer there, see on the big screen that that black adam was running wild and being like dude i need to put a team together i need to go out there and stop this crap he did not need amanda waller to give him the job and amanda waller did not definitely not need to give superman the job of checking in on black adam i, I the character is great and i know that there's like still an urge to have con- connectivity in the dcu and all that but amanda waller was not it as much as i like the character and as much as i like the portrayal of that character she had no space in this movie and the implications her role leave us with are not good for the future. This did not need to happen. It should not have happened. I I saw something great on social media. It was like shouts to Viola Davis for collecting that check via zoom. Cause she, that's like the entirety <laughs> of her role in this movie is just a zoom meeting. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's just such a misuse of a great character and a great actress because it, it it's just like the not the right role she's not nick fury she does not recruit superheroes like this is not that i think the one sense in which it would have made sense if she would have showed up somehow and argus argus right am i remembering correctly is her company yes. argus so argus shows up after the confrontation and she out, goes out of her way to imprison uh, Black Adam. That would have made sense. That would have been fine. But everything else you said was right. And they think she's the Nick Fury of this universe. And it's just too much of a try hard situation of making a connected universe. You know, they they also famously inje- injected elements of both James Gunn's The Suicide Squad with his now wife, Jennifer Holland's character showing up. Um and then also having elements of Zack Snyder's universe, you know, so like, that's great. And that's all fine and dandy. Hopefully we can just move forward and everything, but like, it just didn't make sense. And it was a misuse of a great character. Absolutely. I just, I just don't want, and I never liked when, you know, this, this is the thing. Okay. Frank Miller, uh, in his like dark Knight returns universe, basically, um, kind of goes a long way to implying that basically Superman always ends up being a government stooge. He's too much um, a holder of the establishment. And that is a complete misunderstanding of who Superman is. 
like that's it's it's root. the whole it's the whole boys universe mindset of like exactly it's like no one can really be that good inherently right like everybody's an asshole deep down yeah and that's the problem to me because if you, even if you look like back at the original uh superman comic books from the 30s and 40s right he was not a stooge for the government. He was anti-authoritarian. He's the guy who's standing up for the little guy and speaks truth to power, you know? And so the, the implication from Frank Miller that he's a government stooge, even back in the 80s and in, the, in his, his works, it always rubs me the wrong way. And to see, you know, the return of Henry Cavill to this role, which is such a positive for me, um, and yet the implication that they go in this government stooge route, it just pisses me off, dude. It just rubbed me the wrong way. So, Chris, now that I've rambled about Superman again, uh, why don't we go ahead and get to your next dislike? Uh, the greatest crime of this film is that there's not enough Cyclone. Uh, she is absolute perfection. Um, I absolutely love Quintessa Swindell. I've never seen her before, and I'm going to be doing a deep dive on her work because she was absolute magic on screen. Um, and the fact that she didn't get enough on-screen treatment as even Adam Smasher's goofy snack eating behind was a crime. I absolutely love her. We better get her featured again very soon because I thought she was perfect and shame on them. Uh, it's, it's giving misogyny. I will, I will totally echo what you're saying here with the character. I love the character in the comic books. I love this adaptation of the character and there was not enough of her. Again, it's one of those things where when you go down, like we need a Justice Society movie. We just need to go there, you know. We need to have the the older guys get together and say we're gonna we're gonna mentor the younger generation, and then you have all these cool little relationships between the new generation of heroes, the older generation of heroes, you know. And and that's where a, a character like Cyclone just shines, you know, that that exuberant, um, high energy. Um, young, idealistic, like this. This is a character that sings in a setting like that, and she was just in the wrong setting in this movie. Even down to like the one thing that they got absolutely right was like her, like the slowdown moments where you see like her aesthetic and like the puffs of of wind and everything, down to the colors, the color scheme, her outfit. I absolutely loved it. It was just like. Where was that? That's like this delicious morsel that we got such a small bite of. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. It's definitely a taste that left us wanting more from the character and from the performer. I think there's you have those moments where even when you have a, what's basically a side character in the movie that just immediately. Uh, catches your attention and keeps your attention every time they pop up and that was cyclone in this movie by far just the most underserved character just based on 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 charisma and and how how that character and the and the performer demand attention every time they're on screen it's just really something all right dave it's time for round two on this part with your final dislike yeah, we're getting back to the post-credits scene. I know, I know. And I'm going to say it. I, I want Henry Cavill back. I want another Superman movie where they get to do it right this time. You know, Man of Steel was middling at best, and I just want a really good Superman movie. And I think Cavill is the guy to deliver that. But I don't want him to be the versus Black Adam guy. We don't need another stinking versus movie. We need a Superman movie. And I think the biggest sin of this movie is... That it is Superman in this post credit scene. It should not have been. I think every comic book fan knows 
who should have been here. Heck, every non-comic book fan knows who should have been here because of the word that Black Adam says when he takes his power. Shazam. You know, it, it, it should have been Zachary Levi here. He should have been the one to show up and say, hey, dude, we have, the, you know, we get powers from the same place. What's up? You know, like this should have been this should have been a Captain Marvel moment for all intents and purposes. I know that they don't call him Captain Marvel anymore, but I like those old comics. And to me, he's Captain Marvel. So deal with it. So so Shazam is the one who should have been here. You know, it should have not been Superman. And with Shazam, you almost can believe that somebody somebody like Amanda Waller can talk him into doing oh, something God. for her. He's a kid. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, she could have smooth-talked him and been like, hey, you know, this guy has the power like you, but he is killing people. Maybe you should go over there and check that out. Like, like she could have talked the kid into doing this. You know? So, so that would have made more sense, too. But the reason we got the post-credit scene we got is because... Dwayne The Rock Johnson is obsessed with the idea that Black Adam and Superman should duke it out. You know, and is is that a fun notion? Sure. And they can have they done it in the comic books a few times? Yeah, yeah, sure, they have in crossovers and stuff, but the character that Black Adam is always strong, most strongly associated with is Shazam. And that's where well, who should have popped up here. And I will I will die on that hill. As much as I love Superman and as much as I want Henry Cavill back in the role, all those things are true. And and would there have been a way to have a Superman cameo in this? Sure. I mean, fine, we could have found the way to do that. Maybe it's somebody who wanted, you know, Hawkman talks to him about putting the Justice Society back together or something. And Superman's like, that's a great idea. And that, then you have your cameo, whatever. But the ending, that should have been Zachary Levi standing there, period. So I was a fan of of most of this scene. Um, we talked about the Amanda Waller part and that, that, that seems like a, such a misstep. What I did love about this scene is just hearing his voice and like delivering the role. He's back. However, whatever it takes to get him back. I, I wanted that. I think, I think his line delivery was just so pitch perfect. Um, but I totally agree with, with that. Um, I, I think it, Back to what I was initially going to say in the in the nerd news story, I think it would be a misstep to go a full on versus film again for both characters. Number one, you are reducing Superman uh, to just fighting other heroes. It, it's such like a short sighted thing of just just this testosterone fueled like who would win, bro type of thing and that's such a misunderstanding of everything about superman and and if you don't mind me jumping yeah in for, for sure a second i i just i just want to say that this reminds me of, the, of like the first season of the justice league cartoon because at that point they made they kind of were like saying hey superman is so powerful and we need to give these other heroes a chance to shine so we're just gonna make superman the whipping boy like every time a fight starts superman is the first one to get punked yeah and then the other heroes have to step up and at that point after that first season it just felt like superman just became everybody's whipping boy you know everybody's like hey i want to establish myself i want to establish this character in this show so i'm going to go ahead and i'm going to let and beat up Superman like we do not need Black Adam to beat up on Superman for Black Adam to be established that this movie has established Black Adam's Black Adam really well if you get my meaning secondly we are taking out such a great rogues gallery of Superman villains 
Injustice 2 is one of the best storylines that I've seen in a video game, especially one that's comic book adjacent. The whole Brainiac taking over the world thing. God, give me a Brainiac movie. Please, I'm begging you. I love Brainiac and I want him. Get 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 over the name. It's comic books, okay? Brainiac, give me a Brainiac versus Superman movie now. Thirdly, it's a huge, perhaps the biggest misstep of it all is you just had this argument of the outside forces coming in and telling the people of Kondok what they need and for their own good. It's a big misstep to have Superman come in and smack around Black Adam and vice versa, telling him this is how you hero. I think it's such a tone deaf statement if indeed they go in this route. And they've already proven that they can't get it right. I mean, that's the problem, right? Like having two heroes go at it for philosophical differences, they messed it up the last time. Like Batman versus Superman did not work. It didn't even really establish a clear difference between Batman and Superman, right? So so having that philosophical smackdown, they've already messed it up once. I don't trust them to do it right the second time. All right. Well, I mean, that leaves us with our final thoughts on the movie. Chris, what's your overall assessment of Black Adam? I saw somebody review this online in like a non in a very spoiler free way. And it was just like, it's a fun ride. If you're expecting like this big overarching thematic don't this is not that. Okay. So I thought it was an absolutely fun ride. There are elements that I would have tweaked. um, Definitely. But I, this was a fun movie and I really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a B. See you and I think very much alike. I feel like sometimes because I'm, I'm kind of in the B range myself here. I think it actually falls into sort of the upper uh, ranking of like DCEU movies. I think I'm not going to make a secret out of the fact that probably to me, the two best DCEU movies in this connected universe were always the first Wonder Woman and, and uh, Shazam. I think those captured their characters probably the best. Um, and, and you know, I love Superman, but Man of Steel was just sort of kind of middling, sort of, sort of a C-level to me. But I think this rises above that. I think this is a B-level movie. Um, there are problems with it, and, and the cringy script in places is definitely one. Um, and and the, the, the lack of Cyclone is definitely a problem. Um, and there are some implications with how they inc- included Amanda Waller and how they didn't lean in more into the Justice Society of it all. That uh, That was a big misstep. But there are also really good parts in this, so I, I think it's definitely sort of a B minus. I think I would say for me, for me, I go with um, Shazam and and Aquaman. Those are my two faves. I'm, I'm not as high as oh, I, 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 you know that's fair. I think Aquaman ranks up there as well. The, the first Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Shazam are probably the best of what the DCU has produced so far. Um, yeah, I would definitely say so. I, and and Aquaman 2 is one of those movies where there's a little bit of cheesiness baked in, but it's such a fun ride. It's kind of hard to believe we got such a good Aquaman yeah. movie, considering how long that character has been the butt of jokes. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I would say those three are sort of top tier in the DCU to me. And and Black Adam is sort of below that. It's not. It's it doesn't rise to the heights of like those movies, but but it is very fun, and I think it works 
for the most part. I think for me, what I enjoyed most about this film is, is as I said before, it gives positive momentum for the future. And it's something we desperately needed with everything surrounding Warner Brothers, the cancellation of Batgirl, uh, the scrapping of so many different things at, at Warner Brothers, all the crap uh, storm of everything. And it gives us positive momentum where I didn't see that coming. Now, if Shazam and the Fury of the Gods is also a really good movie, then we're definitely in the most positive momentum moment that the DCEU has probably had ever. Ever. Yep. Yeah. If actually strong forward momentum. Uh, not a great sign that these movies were made under the previous regime, though. Makes you wonder. Makes makes you wonder what what the new people in charge are going to do now with these characters. Oh well, we'll have to find out. All right, folks. So you need to get on your mobile device or PC and tell us all about your opinion on Black Adam. Was it a winner? Was it a loser? What did you think of it? We are uh, on Instagram and Twitter at NerdByWord and individually at that nerd Dave and at that nerd Chris. We want to hear from you. After this, our final break, it is time for everybody's favorite part of the episode, Nerd Commendations. Get ready for some good nerdy media, guys. Stick around. Ladies and gentle people, we are back, and it's time for us to wrap up the episode with our favorite segment where we recommend new nerdy media to you. It is... Now, Chris, I have only dipped my toe into your nerd commendation so far, but from what I have seen, I'm into it. What have you got? So I absolutely love Andor. Uh, it is a Star Wars prequel series um, to Rogue One of Star Wars, uh, airing on Disney+. Plus. As of right now, I think we've gotten seven episodes so far, and I absolutely love everything about it. Um, it's right in that same vein of everything we loved about Rogue One. It's it's a dash of like 007 spy thriller, like Mission Impossible fused in the Star Wars world. Um, stars Diego Luna as Cassian Andor, uh, Stellan Sarsgaard um, as Luthen Rael. Uh, Genevieve O'Reilly is Mon Mothma. And it's just like a really, really interesting thing. And it's something that I've desperately wanted from Star Wars for so long. And one of the big criticisms from the fandom menace is that it, there's no lightsabers, there's no Jedi or everything. But like, it, it's some, I, I've wanted this for so long from Star Wars is that you have this ever expansive universe. And it's such a narrow-minded vision that everything has to be Jedi versus Sith, Force sensitivity, lightsaber, smash, smash. And this, having a spy thriller and like an Ocean's Eleven type heist series set in the Star Wars universe is so genius. There's political intrigue with Mon Mothma. She's like doing these backdoor deals and like all of these whispers because she's trying to serve the rebellion this is like the these are like the early stages of the rebellion before the original trilogy and everything and i i just love how imaginative i think it's beautifully shot it is absolutely breathtaking particularly the episode the eye i believe was the sixth episode where you have this um cosmological event it's something like the northern lights aurora borealis um, involved while they're stealing um, from the Empire. Absolutely gorgeously shot everything. Um, the script 
is masterful. There are some real hit you in the chest quotes, uh, packs a real emotional punch, the family elements, uh, the found family elements of this. There's some really great refugee um, elements with, with um, Cassian coming from a planet that was ravaged um, by the empire. And so now he's kind of always been on the run. Uh, I absolutely love the show and I can't, uh, I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm solidly in the camp of star Wars fans that absolutely adored rogue one. I thought it was a fantastic movie um, and something, you know, a, a, a little different from the usual star Wars fare for sure. Um, obviously as a uh, expanded universe guy, there's a whole different story there of how the, you know, death, death star plans were stolen and all that. But I actually ended up really adoring rogue one. And it was the movie that sort of convinced me that, Hey, you know, um, cleaning up the canon and, and expanding it, you know, cinematically and in TV shows and stuff might actually be a good idea. Um, yeah, so Rogue One is an absolutely fantastic movie in my book, and I adore it. Uh, and I really am glad that Andor, as a character, got a spotlight. I've only watched about half of the first episode, and then I got you know distracted with some other stuff. But I am fully planning on coming back around to it, because what I've seen so far looked like a, a really interesting sort of character study of the guy, you know? And I'm, I'm very much interested in seeing more of that. Also, I'm probably one of the few rare individuals that's a big Mon Mothma fan. <laughs> like, I love this character. Um, and you have dipped your toe into um, Heir to the Empire uh, and that trilogy. And she is a very integral part of that trilogy. And her portrayal in those three books is super as well. So I've been a, a Mon Mothma fan going back a long way. So seeing more of her background and her starting up in the Rebellion is really, really cool. All right, Dave, speaking of toes dipping, we're, 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 we're dipping toes today. I have done so with your nerd commendation, and I love what I've read so far. Yeah, I cannot, uh, I cannot sing the praises enough of this. I have read all 100 issues of Boom Studios' various Power Rangers series. Um, I finally got myself caught up uh, as of this recording. Uh, issue 101 with a new creative team is scheduled to come out, I think, uh, in a week. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to see where they go from here, but holy mother of God, is this series amazing? Uh, I am definitely the target audience. Uh, I was a kid when Power Rangers first premiered. I fell in love with the Mighty Morphin group. Um, I did continue on a little bit past looking, you know, at Zio. Um, uh, I think in space was another one. Um, I fell off the wagon, tried to come back a few times after the Zordon era when they started having a different crew every season. Um, and there was, you know, some good, some bad, and, and some kept my attention and some didn't. And then I sort of fell off the wagon around, I guess, oh, uh, SPD or something. Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I'm definitely a fan of Power Rangers. It was kind of baked into me anyways, because even before I encountered Power Rangers, my dad and I always watched uh, kaiju movies from Japan. And there's definitely that sort of kaiju vibe in, in Power Rangers anyways. So I'm a fan. Um, and I'm a fan specifically mostly of the Zordon era and the Mighty Morphin crew. I always adored the Mighty Morphin crew. They're my guys. That's who I started with. So when Boom got the license for Power Rangers, I was, you know, interested. Um, obviously, Boom has, you know, been knocking out of the park in recent years. Uh, and so I finally, like, punted back and started slowly putting all the pieces together to get, you know, an understanding of this run of comics. 
And their approach is so fascinating. Um, so we've had a couple of different writers on here, obviously, and some different artists. Dan Mora actually came through. Um, I'm so thankful for Dan Mora's existence because the art sings every time Dan Mora does anything, apparently. Um, the initial run of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was written by Kyle Higgins. Um, there were a couple of co-writers, Steve Orlando and Margaret Scott. Um, and then we got uh, a second series, Go Go Power Rangers by Ryan Parrott. And then uh, Parrott eventually kind of uh, took over sort of the franchise uh, when the initial two series were ended and they split off into Mighty Morphin as one series and Power Rangers as another. So I just want to get into just a few things that I adore about this series. This is a very long run, obviously, of 100 issues, and I don't want to spoil it for everybody. But the approach of the series is basically that it is not a reboot, that everything in the actual television show happened. And the series is kind of what happens when you look away, right? When there's when we're not watching an episode, there's these other adventures that happen in between episodes, and that is what we are seeing. At the same time, it is also sort of an update. Uh, it's very much uh, rooted in more modern times with more modern technology. There's cell phones and stuff. So it doesn't you know, linger in like some kind of 90s nostalgia. So the original show is in continuity. Uh, the first Power Rangers run, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, picks up right after uh, the Green Ranger has been redeemed and joins, with Gogo Power Rangers actually punting all the way back to the end of the pilot and giving us sort of untold tales of the very early days of the Power Rangers, sort of between the first and second episode, I guess you could say. Um, and those two runs are really, really good. I actually ended up liking Go Go Power Rangers almost more <laughs> than than the main run, Mighty Morphin. Dan Moore's initial art probably had a lot to do with that. Also, there were interesting character things happening in Go Go Power Rangers, whereas Mighty Morphin was a little more plot driven. There were cool things happening with character. Um, you know, an inversion of powers, for example, between Trini and Jason, where, you know, Trini was the Red Ranger suddenly and 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 Jason was the Yellow Ranger. There's interesting relationships that happen that you're not familiar with. Um, and then there's a, you know, a couple of big crossovers, Shattered Grid, which is absolutely a huge deal and so fantastic with a really cool villain. Um, there was a crossover between the two, a Necessary Evil, which then brings us to the relaunch. And the relaunch was something super special to me. Um, Mighty Morphin focuses on uh, an Earthbound Power Rangers team as what we saw in the show. But uh, Power Rangers focuses on um, Jason, Trini, and Zack, which in the TV show left um, po the Power Rangers to be part of some kind of like peace summit that was run by the UN. Um, but instead we find out sort of in a behind the scenes sort of thing that the three were actually recruited to be a different sort of Power Ranger that is out in space on a secret mission, the Omega Rangers. And the Omega Rangers are so cool. And I have to say the series, you know, really, really starts singing here. Uh, Ryan Parade is just knocking it out of the park there on both. And then he brings the two series together for issue 100, a huge finale. Um, we bid farewell to one of the original Rangers, and now you know it's it's kind of anyone's guess where it goes from here. But the series is is so so good. Um, you can find a reading order very very easily online. I will also drop a link to a couple of the reading orders I used to piece all this together uh, in our show notes uh, for you guys if you want to check it out and you have not you know had any experience with these with Power Rangers issues. I think Booms Power Rangers is one of the best licensed comic books i have ever read in my life 
Um, and those 100 issues are, are some of the finest things. I, I stayed up late at night oftentimes just because I couldn't stop reading because the series was so fantastic. So as far as you know, licensed superheroes, holy mother of God, you need to read this thing. It's probably the best Power Rangers have ever been. It is right up there with IDW's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as far as licensed comic book quality. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree. I've read the first four <laughs> trades of the Mighty Morphin original. I'm in the um, the Untold Tales or something of that nature. Uh, Untold Chronicles, I think it is. Um, yeah, it's a couple of the annuals. I believe. Yeah, it's a couple of annuals and like backstories. It's really, really great. Yeah, I totally agree with this nerd commendation wholeheartedly. Uh, second it uh for those of you who are looking where can you find this uh 100 issues boy that's a lot um everything is available on comiXology unlimited i just am wrapping up my 30-day free trial in which i've read that i've read some zorro comics it's absolutely great um bang for your buck and then um it's only 5.99 a month so i think comiXology unlimited as i've stated before is a good mix of the stuff that you're going to get on marvel and dc respectively uh but then the, you know the course the added bonus is you get some idw you get some boom studios and you get some image stuff so the indie stuff um as it were that you can't get on marvel unlimited or dc universe infinite is available on comiXology unlimited so I think all of those hundred issues are available unlimited. So um, have no fear. Yeah, it's just such a fantastic series. And wait till you hit, wait till you hit Go Go Power Rangers. You were already telling me before we recorded how much you like the series portrayal of Billy. I think the portrayal in Go Go Power Rangers on him is even better. Like Go Go for a while actually was my preferred series over Mighty Morphin for a while. Like there were some really really cool things happening. Um, I think it falls a little bit off after Shattered Grid um, because sort of the purpose of the series kind of loses its direction a little bit as it catches up with um, with Mighty Morphin. But uh, but then the, the new split happens between Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers, and that's just like a whole nother ball game, man. Like, so good. Yeah, so like in, in revisiting this, I'm kind of an obsessive person, so I'm now watching the original Mighty Morphin series on Netflix um, and everything. So it's it's been really cool to revisit all of this. And uh, I was kind of hit or miss. Like I didn't, I had like all the action figures and everything, but I, I don't remember as much for some reason of that. I remember when the movie came out and everybody was obsessed with it and it was super cool seeing it on the big screen. But um, it's been really cool kind of revisiting this. The kids are obsessed with it. They're wanting to dress up as Halloween characters. Um, this is before Halloween by the time we're recording this, but yeah, so it's been really cool to kind of share that thing kind of naturally with my own kids too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't wait for my son to be a little older so we can sit down and watch this together. Well, alrighty, folks, there you have it. This is a episode 128 of the Nerd by Word podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you like what you heard, then why don't you go on your favorite podcasting platform, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode, drop us a rating and review. We would love to welcome you to the Nerd by Word family. Our podcast is available wherever podcasts can be found, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, etc., etc. And of course, on our very own spiffy website, nerdbyword.com. And always follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at nerd by word individually that nerd dave and that nerd chris also be sure to hit the link in our bio for all the goodies our discord server to chat comics or shows or series with us also if you are uh, an independent comic creator 
or tabletop game creator and you are looking to promote your product uh, that's on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or anything of that nature, be sure to hit that link in our bio as well to sign up for time slots for Nerd at Night for our live streams, which are coming oh so soon. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.